And so this morning what I want to do is take another look from one of Paul's epistles, the epistle to the Ephesians, and get another take on prayer. Prayer is one of those topics in Scripture that you just cannot exhaust. Uh, Prayer is throughout the Scripture. And so um, we just scratched the surface during this month on prayer, but we will continue to make it uh, focus throughout the rest of this year and until the Lord comes yet again. We love stories about ordinary people doing extraordinary things. The ordinary doing the extraordinary. Don Larson was a pitcher for the New York Yankees. I'm sorry that Jake has to miss this this morning. (laughs) He's not going to believe I'm giving a story about the Yankees. The evil empire. Uh, But Don Larson was a a pitcher for the, the New York Yankees in the 50s. And he was an average pitcher. Uh, if you look at his career, he, he lost more games than he won. His, his final record was 81 wins and 91 losses. And so he was average. His earn run average or ERA for a pitcher was 3.78. It was about a run and a half more than everybody else in the league. And yet in the scheme of things, this ordinary pitcher did an extraordinary thing. In 1955, the New York Yankees played the Brooklyn Dodgers, and Don Larson had an opportunity to pitch in that game, in one of the games of the World Series in 55, and he lost 8-3. to He got clobbered. A year later, the Yankees and the Dodgers would again meet in the World Series. In 1956, And back then, the Yankees manager, their coach, decided to pitch Don Larson in game two of the World Series. And Don Larson lost again. He went one and two-thirds innings. That means he got all the outs in the first inning and then only two of three in the next inning and was pulled from the game. Even though, even though, the Yankees had scored six runs in the first inning. So he had a 6 nothing lead. It was like, how do you blow that? But he managed. <laughs> then came game five. People thought that Casey Stengel was crazy. He puts out Don Larson yet again. And the ordinary does the extraordinary Don Larson pitched a perfect game in the World Series. That means all 27 batters that came up for the Dodgers that day went back to the dugout. Not one reached first base. No walks, no hits, nothing. Not a zilch, zero. 97 pitches is all it took for Don Larson to do his work that day. When he was finished, he was questioned by reporters. As he recalled, Larson said, I had great control. I never had that kind of control in my life, ever. It was like a supernatural thing took place in him. But that's exactly what God does with us and for us. 
He takes ordinary people to, ex- to accomplish extraordinary things. Tasks for his eternal purpose. For his glory. He transforms nobodies. Those who are sinners apart from him. He transforms them and empowers them with great power. To shake heaven and earth and set free those who were in the same state as they were. Sinners captivated by sin and darkness. Now here's the question. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? Do do we believe that God uses us and uses ordinary means to achieve extraordinary results? Prayer being one of those. Or are we the people or a, a people that are like those in Itasca, Texas? I read that for the first time this week. Itasca, Texas. And I'm thinking, where's Itasca, Texas? Who knows where Itasca is? There we go, one. <laughs> so if you take I 35 west, south, towards Hillsboro, you'll pass by a little town that's about 1,600 people now. Before World War II, Itasca had a school, one school for all the kids there. And they had a devastating fire. It killed 263 children prior to World War II. There wasn't a single family, it seems as though, was not touched either directly or indirectly with the loss of all these children. And for years they went without a schoolhouse. World War II started and ended. And after it did, there was a boom in Itasca, just like everywhere else. More babies were born, more jobs created. And so they finally decided that they would build a school. And they built a school, but they added one thing to it that it didn't have before. A state-of-the-art sprinkler system for fires. Oh, they were quite proud of it. They, they thought it was the end-all, be-all. Be all. They took their honor students and tasked them with giving tours of the school to show everybody in town and anybody that would come by, look at what we have done. Seven years later, town's still growing. They have to expand the school. And as they begin to take the sheetrock away, and as they begin to extend this sprinkler system, they found it was not connected. It was never turned on. It was never hooked up. And yet isn't that true of us, the church? We have been given a means of grace, an ordinary means of grace called prayer. And yet how many times we, self-included, neglect this awesome gift that takes the ordinary and makes them extraordinary through going to our knees in prayer. It is access to untold power to hope, to provision with the God of the universe who listens, who hears, and who answers. We have that at our disposal 24 hours a day, 
seven days a week. And yet we simply neglect it. Prayer has become supplemental in the church. When God through His Word says it's fundamental. It's not supplemental. It's fundamental. It is absolutely needed before anything else takes place. Let me give you an example. If you go through the book of Acts and you start at the beginning, Jesus is meeting with the disciples. And there is some 120 there. And He tells them that He's leaving. Okay? And they will be His witnesses. And that the Holy Spirit will come and fall upon them. And so, He leaves. He ascends up in the clouds. And there's 120 of them gathered together. Chapter 1, verse 14. And it says they prayed. Continually is the idea of that verse 14 in chapter 1. So they were praying and praying and praying. Not necessarily knowing sure what's going to happen. They knew the Spirit was coming, but I don't know that they really understood what that would entail. Yes, they knew Joel's prophecy in the Old Testament. But here they're praying. They're doing the work of prayer. And then Pentecost comes and the Spirit falls. Peter rises up and he preaches the Pentecost sermon. And then 3,000 men are added that day. There must have been women and children as well. So more than 3,000 are added to the inauguration of the New Testament church. But what precedes it is prayer. Ordinary people exercising the means of grace and an extraordinary result through the power of God is put on display. Think about this for a moment. The very first thing that you do as you enter into this world, like Lucy Grace, is you breathe. Most likely with a cry, you breathe. And the very last thing that you will do when you depart this earth physically is breathe. And then every moment in between, you're going to breathe in and out, in and out, in and out. It's necessary for you. Do this for a moment. I'm going to ask you to hold your breath. All right? One, two, three. Breathe in. Hold it. Hold it. Exhale. Does that feel natural? Does that feel natural? Yeah, we'll hold our breath when we're swimming underwater, you know, out of necessity. But it's not natural for us. You could not hold your breath all day and do your job. As a mother, as an employee, as a brother, sister, going to school, doesn't matter. You can't do it holding your breath. What happens if you hold your breath too long? Or if you can't breathe, you might pass out. You can't function. Prayer is spiritual breathing. Prayer is spiritual breathing. It is the first thing that you will do when you come to Christ. Think about it. The Holy Spirit regenerates us, gives us a new heart, gives us a new mind. We hear the gospel and then we appropriate the gift of faith that's given to us. And the first thing we do is we pray to receive it. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
For me, it was, Lord, don't leave me in this place. For you, it might have been something else that you cry out, but you were saved at that moment. Your first spiritual breath was prayer. I believe your last spiritual breath is something like what Christ did on the cross. When He said, into, my, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Now, we don't say that physically out loud or anything, but I do think the Spirit inside is ready to depart from this earthly body and be present with the Lord. So spiritual breathing is your first and your last. But it should be every moment in between. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Those are commandments. They're not optional. You are commanded to do that. Now you say, but Jeff, it's hard. I know. It's really hard. Paul Miller talks about in his book, A Praying Life, all the difficulties with prayer, all the distractions that we have in this world, everything that can move our minds off of praying to God through, in the Spirit through Jesus Christ. He says we we get so guilty and shameful when we start to pray. Our Heavenly Father, I come before you in prayer and I got to get eggs and milk and bread. But we do that, don't we? Our minds will wander. And so we need to cultivate within us and foster a praying life. Now, Paul does that through this epistle. He gives us some principles that we can follow to have a praying life. I'm going to break it down into three parts in this passage. We pray for spiritual support. We pray for spiritual insight. And we pray for spiritual power. So spiritual support, spiritual insight, and spiritual power. Those are three things that he tells the saints at Ephesus that they need to incorporate into their prayer as he prays these things for him, for them. So he's the example that they are then to follow. But it doesn't have to be exactly word for word. But I think you'll get it as, as we move through this text. So Paul, in verse 15, starts out this passage for this reason, for this reason. And it is both what it precedes this text and what comes immediately after. So with regards to prayer, what is the motivation? What is the why behind prayer? And I've made this point, spiritual support. But that spiritual support is supported two different ways. What goes before this is 203 words of one sentence from verse 3 through verse 14. They are magnificent. One of my favorite books in all of Scripture, probably my favorite, is Ephesians. And this text in chapter 1 that speaks about the absolute grace of God, our salvation in Him, and what He's done for us. If you ever want encouragement... Go to Ephesians, read verses 3 through 14. God blesses us with every 
spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He withholds nothing. It is all for you and for me. Every bit of it. He chose us in Christ. He predestined us to be sons and daughters in Christ. He redeems us in Christ. He makes a blood payment for us. He forgives us of our transgressions in Christ. And then He gives us an inheritance. And on top of that inheritance, a pledge of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing that He has withheld from us. He grants us everything in Christ. So the first thing that we think about, the reason for going to prayer is what God has done for us. That should manifest then in the latter part two things. Thanksgiving and prayer. You should be thankful for your own salvation. But Paul, in the concept of spiritual support, says, but you don't stop there. It's not only thanksgiving for your own salvation, but the salvation of the body of Christ. Look to your right. Look to your left. Look over your shoulder. Look in front of you. These brothers and sisters here have experienced the same salvation that you have in God. They have received the same blessings that you have. Paul says, give thanks for them. Give thanks for them. Think about thanksgiving for a moment. Commendation is another way to think of this concept. Are you more encouraged when you're criticized or when a good word is spoken about you? I'm proud of you. You did a good job. I really like the way you do this. You know, you're a good guy. Encouragement is important. It is so easy to criticize. We all do it. I do it. We, we think about brothers and sisters here in the church. And we'll, we'll think of things that they've done. And we'll start to dwell on the negative. Thinking of, I don't like this guy. I don't like this woman. They rub me the wrong way. Their personality isn't you know, my cup of tea. (laughs) But brothers and sisters, if God sees value in them to redeem them, then you should see value in them. There is something that I'll tell people all the time. There is a difference between faith and unbelief in practical living. Faith looks at the possibilities of what God can do in a person. Unbelief looks at the flaws and those only. We need to have faith. And that is what Paul talks about here. He recognizes these brothers and sisters for two different things. Their faith in Christ Jesus and their love toward the saints. Both of them have objects. In Christ and toward the saints. Prayer is not self-centered. Yes, we can ask for things that we need. But as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, seek ye first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He knows your needs. He knows your wants. And yes, you can 
petition those before the Lord. But he's got a bigger picture in mind for our prayer. Our brothers and sisters, the church needs spiritual support. They need to be commended for the gifts that God has given to them. For being a brother and sister, for being able to come alongside of us in this gospel work. And so Paul says, first give thanksgiving. Thanksgiving to God for your salvation and for the salvation of others. But then he goes on and he says, remembering you in my prayers. When you go to seminary, you learn the Greek language. Although like me, you forget most of it. (laughs) But I know enough to be dangerous. Typically, in Greek, we will have to translate in English um, two or three words to get the concept of a single word in Greek. It has that kind of dynamic to it. The other is usually word-for-word translation. But in this case, remembering or remembrance, remembering, is actually two words in the Greek and we translate it into one. And the reason I pause for a moment here in in this to give a little Greek is so that you can understand this idea when it comes to prayer. How many of us go, you know what, the Lord puts you on my heart. The Lord puts you on my mind. You think of someone. Out of the blue. Paul is saying when this happens with him, and in the economy of God, there is the, of the two words, one is the actual thought, the, the mental image of another person or a thing. And the second word is to put that thought into action, to do, to make. And then it's followed by the word prayer. So when someone puts, when the Holy Spirit puts someone on your mind... You should pray for that person at that moment. That's Paul's idea in 1 Thessalonians 5. Pray without ceasing. And it can be short. God bless my brother or bless my sister. Wherever they are at this moment, would you care for them? Anything. But it's giving that thanksgiving. It's praying for them. Paul says we need to remember one another in prayer. And so... An aspect is the Holy Spirit brings it to mind, but then there's another greater aspect of remembering. It's actually sitting down, being quiet, and praying for the church, for their spiritual support. Did it ever occur to you that you contribute to the sanctification of others? I'm not being blasphemous here, but has it ever occurred to you? Do do you realize that when you are interceding and praying for someone else, for God to grant them things, for God to bless them with things, for God to mature them in their faith, in their walk, that you're contributing to their sanctification? It's a beautiful thing, but it is a hard, hard work. It takes practice, it takes diligence, it takes a prayer in and of itself. Sometimes I will do this when I enter into prayer. 
Holy Spirit, I recognize my weakness in prayer. Will you help me? Will you enable me in my weakness to be steadfast in prayer? That prayer is heard often for me. And I can be diligent to continue on in prayer. And so we have that opportunity to pray for others. Eric Alexander, doing a message from this particular passage, talks about an old pastor theologian in the 1900s, O-L-E, Halsby. He wrote a simple book called Prayer. I just ordered it. I haven't had a chance to read it. But Eric Alexander talks about Ole Holsby. Before he was a Norwegian pastor and theologian and teacher, he worked in mining. And he talks about the work of mining. And in that day, what you did is you took gunpowder, you took dynamite, and you blasted away at mountains and rocks to get into the ore that you were looking for. And Halsby says, you know, any fool can light the fuse and watch the fireworks and not watch the rocks just explode and go out and get to it. The hard work is the boring. The boring and boring and boring. Have you ever tried to drill into concrete or rock? When I had a sign company, I had a business before I got into ministry. Maybe that's why I got into ministry. <laughs> but it was a company that did signs, and we did outdoor signs, as you would see, neon that's on the outside of buildings. A lot of buildings, that fascia is concrete. You had to use something called a power drill. Okay, not just any common drill. You can't get a $40, $50 drill and do this kind of work. You're spending like $300 for a handheld one, and then there's others that come with a compressor and so on and so forth. So I had a, a hammer drill, and, and we're on a site, and one of my installers is, is doing it, and his arm's getting tired. And so I go up, and I give it a try. Well, you're drilling into with this hammer drill, and you're trying to put pressure on it, and you're get just a minute distance. Minutes go by. And you're thinking, is it ever going to get deep enough so I can install this anchor that, so that the sign stays up? And Halsby said that's what it's like for a miner. The, the boring and the boring and the boring so that the dynamite can be placed deep enough to then do the extraordinary work of revealing the ore. It's a hard work. But it's a work that Paul here is asking the church to do. Not just for yourselves, but for others. We need spiritual support. And then we need to hear about it. Has anyone ever written you a note and said, I prayed for you today. And this is what I have prayed. Have you ever had that? I get that occasionally as a pastor. There was a missionary years ago that Galen and I knew, Craig Poston. He would do missionary trips. The very first missionary trip that I went on to Jamaica, he was my roommate. 
And so Gayla and I began to support him and his wife in their ministry. And I would get a letter or card from him once every quarter at least. And part of this was a piece of paper. And every day he had written, for example today, 122 prayed for you. 123 prayed God's blessing upon you. And it's a diary of his prayer for me. And I'm supporting him. But Craig Poston knew the power of prayer. He knew the need of prayer and spiritual support that it gives. And so, as I can encourage him with monetary support, he turns around and blesses me with spiritual support. That's the first point that Paul is resonating through this text. He says, church, give one another spiritual support. Pray for one another. Give thanksgiving for one another. So that's the first thing that we're taught in this text. The second thing is that we are to pray for insight. So the thanksgiving and intercession, the support that we give one another, we then go a step further. And we pray for spiritual insight. Listen, if you plant a plant and you do not give that plant water or light, it won't grow. And so Paul here says, this is what you do. You pray for spiritual insight for yourself, but more importantly for others. He says here in verse 17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. The most important place after Thanksgiving to start for others and continue your spiritual support is that they might have insight. And the greatest insight is to know God in Christ Jesus. There is nothing more important than that. The more deeply you know Him, the more you're in communion with Him, the more you grow in Christ. The more you mature in Christ, you are like that plant that gets sunlight and water and maybe a little miracle grow and all of a sudden it is flourishing and blooming. And if it is a plant that is to bear fruit, it bears fruit. And so the prayer for spiritual insight is that we would have the wisdom given by the Holy Spirit and a revelation of the knowledge of Him. And that insight then takes it another step further. And he talks about that the inner man, your heart, for Hebrews, for Jews, the heart was a metaphor for the internal person, the spirit of the person, represented all the inner being of the person. And so Paul says that this prayer for wisdom and, re- and revelation and knowledge of Him is so that your spiritual eyes of your heart would be enlightened. That means they would be opened up. They would be able to see 
I shared a couple of weeks ago with Elisha, the prophet, and he was in Dotham, and the king of Syria came to get him, and his assistant walks out the door and he sees all the army of Assyria. He's going like, what are we going to do? And Elijah prays and says, let him see what I see. And he sees that those who are with them are greater than those who are against them. That's this enlightenment. That, that is knowing that the God who created the heavens and the earth, the Lord Jesus Christ, is with you. He is for you. And to have those spiritual eyes to understand that and to see that is transformative. It, it should change your whole outlook on life. We get so caught up into circumstances, don't we? I, there was some texts going between the elders today of some things that are happening in people's lives. And, and my prayer this morning for one of those is, there, and I won't get into do this, but an event happened that if you knew of it, you would think, gosh, that's got to hit that person like a tidal wave. They, they, they have to think that this is, this is the end, that it, their whole world comes crashing down. So after studying this week, praying for that person, that they would have their eyes enlightened. That they would see Jesus Christ for who He is. Lord of lords and King of kings. That He is the creator, the sustainer, the provider, our refuge, our strength, our mighty tower. He's all of those things. So pray for spiritual insight. And then specifically He gives a threefold prayer for insight. For their hope, for their inheritance, and for power. Hope, inheritance, and power. When you begin to see Jesus for who He is, what He's done, what He's doing, and knowing that He will come again, hope grows. We do not have hope that is wishful thinking. We have hope of certainty. Prayer is a means to cultivate hope. As we pray things, you know how this is. You pray for things and you're not sure that the prayer is going to be answered. And then it's answered. Paul Miller, who wrote A Praying Life, tells the story of, he's got eight kids. Ashley is his oldest, and he talks about going on a camping trip. And on this camping trip, he is up at the tent and he starts walking back. He's got seven of the eight kids. One kid's at home with his wife, Jill. That, that child has some, some difficulty. She's mute and has other issues. And so she stayed there at home. He sees Ashley down by their minivan. And he's approaching Ashley and she is absolutely distraught. And as he approaches, he says, honey, what's wrong? She goes, I lost a contact. He looks down and the forest floor is just covered with twigs and leaves and everything else. In his mind, the first thought is, it's going to be impossible to find this. But he knows what he should be doing. He knows he should pray. 
And so as out of encouragement, he says, Ashley, honey, we need to pray. She says, I've been praying. I've prayed for years that my sister Kim would speak. And it's been years and she doesn't speak. Paul's thinking, wow. Here, here's my daughter I'm trying to, to raise in the faith. And, and she is in need of spiritual support. She's in need of spiritual insight. And, and so he just says a prayer. He goes, Lord, Lord, you really help me out here. Because her faith is floundering. Would you do this for her sake? That she would grow in the faith. And then he says, honey, let's pray. Simply, Lord, help us find this contact. They kneel down, and there it is, on top of a leaf. In seconds, they had found it. That is the power of prayer. That is spiritual insight that the God of heaven and earth cares about everything in your life, cares about the church, cares about the mundane things. Hope is then restored. Hope is encouraged. Hope is done. And then we have an inheritance Our inheritance is in Christ Jesus and a working of great power. I'm going to fast forward into this one with the power of God, spiritual power. Spiritual support is what we need. Spiritual insight is what we need. But we can't do it without spiritual power. Paul says here in verse 19 and 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Paul puts on display three aspects of power in Christ Jesus. Resurrection power, ascension power, and lordship power. All being one power of our divine holy God, Jesus Christ. You know resurrection power. It's what raised God from the dead. It's what raised Lazarus from the tomb. Sin and death cannot hold bonds on us. But that resurrection power is within us. It brings us to life, brings us to faith. But that same resurrection power then can be appropriated into our prayer life. But Paul takes us a step further. Not only is it that resurrection power, now it's the ascension power because Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He's above all things, all rulers, all authority, all dominion, all power. In other words, what he says goes. And your prayers go to the one who controls all things. He will not leave his children in need. And then finally, there is a lordship power, a sovereign power. And this is one that we really, really need to keep in mind. All things are put under His feet. All things under His feet. And He is the head of the church. So the work that we're asked to do as followers of Christ, making disciples we are given the prayer 
I mean, we are given the power of our Lord to do that. The gates of hell shall not prevail. In fact, just the opposite. We burst through the gates of hell when we take the gospel to the world. We are taking dominion for the kingdom of God back through the gospel. But we do so by first undergirding it with prayer. So we have spiritual support that we pray for others. We pray for spiritual insight that we will see Christ afresh. And we pray for spiritual power in our lives. Do you believe it? Do you believe prayer works? Do you believe prayer is answered? Do you believe that we need spiritual support, spiritual insight, and spiritual power? It is my prayer that as we go through this series, it will ignite your prayer life, that it will fan into flame and unleash God's power, not only in your own life, but in this church. That we would become the salt and light that we're intended to be. That it would do so in a manner that happened a couple hundred years ago. There were five students at Williams College in 1806. They used to go to a place in a meadow where there was trees and gathered together to pray. One afternoon, a thunderstorm struck. And the only thing to, re- uh, to seek refuge behind was a haystack. And they all got on the backside of this haystack. This thunderstorm blew through. But while the thunderstorm is going, they are praying for missions, the mission of the church. Not for their own safety, for the church. This, these five young men started what is known as the Haystack Revival. The church had reached its lowest level of attendance in the new era. And over the next years, church attendance in America grew from 10% to 30%, beginning with the prayer of five people. Would you be one of those people? Would you pray for your brothers and sisters, the church? Would you pray for insight for the church? For it to have power to go forth with the gospel, to glorify our God and King? Join me in prayer. Father in heaven, we do rejoice that you can teach us to pray in so many different ways through the scriptures. We're we're thankful that Paul put together for the Ephesians and now for us these principles and insight of spiritual support and spiritual insight and spiritual power that prayer gives us and grants us in Christ Jesus. Would you bless us to that end that we would become people of prayer? a praying church for your kingdom and for your glory. Amen.